right, welcome, welcome to another edition of the WTF Interviews. Uh, we have, uh, again, myself, Royce Briales, and my co-host, Dr. Raheem Young. And we have also our esteemed guest, Dr. Joe Campbell. We call him, I call him Dr. Joe. What's going on, Dr. Joe? I'm doing good, doing good. Thank you for having me. Greetings, everyone. Greetings. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Introduce yourself, man. Tell people about a little bit about what you do and uh, your background. Okay. Uh, well, I'm originally from Chicago, transplant to Hot Springs, Arkansas, where I am the assistant professor in counseling education and the practical internship coordinator for Henderson State University. Uh, let's see, been in counseling since 2012 and have done school counseling, some college counseling. And all that in between, mentorship, the whole shebang. Uh, that's cool. That's cool. So, like, how has counseling helped you as a father? It's helped a lot, actually. Um, after, well, I, I received counseling when I was younger, when I lost my father at nine. So I knew how important that counseling really was, and I wanted to do something that kind of made a difference in people's lives. And so uh, one of the things when I was pushing around, looking for things and trying to find my way, um, I met kids that couldn't read, couldn't do these things, but can tell me everything about video games and everything else that came out, video game related. So I said, I want to kind of reach these kids as best as I can. So I took a counseling course and said, you know, maybe this is something that I like. Fell in love with the first course and I haven't stopped since. That's cool. So, um, like, I, I know you're a gamer, Joe. What's the greatest video game ever? Oh, very subjective <laughs> question. <laughs> so, what I would say is probably something that I grew up playing in the arcades was uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 2 is probably one of my favorite games. Uh, one, because it blends the Marvel characters, running Street Fighter these big, big pantheons together. And I remember popping quarters in with my friends uh, and just sitting there at the arcade playing at the one in Dalton and, and just playing it all the time whenever I went there. So to me, that's my favorite. Yeah. Uh, but there's some contenders that are out there. What did you say, Brother Royce? Who did you fight with? Oh, I had both Wolverines and Ryu. Okay. So you was like like a hand-to-hand guy. You wasn't with the projectiles? Well, that's what Ryu was there for. I throw a couple projectiles, but then nobody can beat Wolverine in the speed. And I, I would love to just get up close. Okay. You know, I had that game on, um, on Dreamcast. And we used to play that a lot, man. I think I still have it in my mom's basement right now, which reminds me I probably need to send off for that so it can come home too. <laughs> are your kids, um, tell us about your kids. Are, are they gamers? Ooh, are they gamers? So I have a 14-year-old who's getting ready to be 15 in April. Uh, that's my oldest son, Joe. 
and then I have a 13-year-old who will be 14 next October. It's my youngest son, Joshua, who actually had his tonsils out today. So he is sitting eating ice cream and playing his Switch right now. Uh, are they gamers like their parents? Yes. So everybody in my household has a Switch, from my wife to my kids. I I'm surprised that the dogs don't have one right now. <laughs> but um, they, we play together, we play board games, we're competitive, and uh, I try to get them to play stuff that's more story-oriented because I like to see the stories of the game play out, uh, see my oldest prefers the fighting games, uh, so he's playing a lot of, right now he's playing Dragon Ball Z Fighters, Dragon Ball Universe, and Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. The youngest, he likes building things. So he's playing Super Mario Maker 2. Um, he plays Pikmin. He plays Kirby. Uh, he plays Animal Crossing. Um, so I'm trying to get them both to kind of expand their gaming knowledge. They have discovered the SNES classics on side their Switch. So now I, I caught my oldest playing Metroid 2, and I just started smiling. So I'm like, oh, you're going to beat your head up against the wall because it's hard. <laughs> and I was just so happy because, you know, you don't get kids. They, they're all about the Grand Theft Auto. They're all about the Mortal Kombat. But to see them go and, and playing something like Metroid or, or playing something like Contra, uh, Double Dragon, that just amazes me because that's literally where, for me, that's where we started. We started with those games and then got better because those games, they didn't have an easy mode. You just played. Yeah. And it wasn't no save. Uh, yeah, you uh -huh. die. You see, I start all the way over <laughs> yeah. at the beginning. Oh, yes. Yeah, Metroid was, the, the first Metroid was hard to me. I was like, what the hell? Every Metroid has been hard. Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, so you say your, your wife is into gaming too, man? Yes. That is actually uh, one of the ways we started vibing with each other. We we met in college. We started talking about, she was singing inside the computer lab. And I caught her singing inside the computer lab. And I'm like, well, uh, I'm going to go play a uh, little PlayStation. You want to come? And she was like, so where are you playing on PlayStation? Next thing you know, conversation kicked off. We started talking about different music and different games that we've played. And fast forward almost, what, 20 years later, we're still together. Oh, that's pretty cool. So is it like one of the... Um when y'all mad at each other, y'all play like a Mortal Kombat or something to uh, to bring it back or to cool down the tension. No, when we're mad at each other, <laughs> oh, we, try it's to stay out, we do try to stay out of each other's way. <laughs> I used to use a method called Nerf Gun Madness, whereas different Nerf guns were hidden around the house. So if we were mad at each other, we'd just shoot each other with a Nerf gun. <laughs> the only okay. bad part of it is it got expensive as well as... Um, we had way too many bullets. And uh, <laughs> since we had small creatures in the household, I didn't want to pay for any extra bullets for them chewing on them. Oh, yeah. 
So what was the first game y'all played together, you and your wife? Ooh. First game we played together. That would happen to be GoldenEye on the 64. We played oh, that's classic. Night. That's a classic right there. She was horrible. She picked odd job. And I called her a cheater <laughs> the entire time. But my wife is also shorter than I am. So that's why I said that was the reason why you picked odd job, because he was about your height. And she said, that's not fair. You're just mad because you're dying. And yes, I was mad because I was dying. But the way that she was talking mess and then the way that, that she played I, I was fascinated because it was just like she actually took tactics to heart. But then she was like, oh, let's switch to something else. Let's play something else. And um, I think, what was it? It was Paper Mario. Hmm. And she really didn't like role play games, but she got into Paper Mario and just seeing her, she had the book in front of her. She was sitting at the screen playing and I was in the kitchen cooking something and I was just amazed. I like, she gonna be my wife one day. So that's how you knew. Oh yeah, yeah. But mm. habit, yeah. So how did you like um, pop the question? Was it around centered around like video, a video game or something? Or how'd you do no, it? No, it, it the way that I did it was actually different. I had bought the ring about three three or four months before I actually popped the question. And it was one of those things like it was, I would look at it every day to make sure that it was actually real and still there. <laughs> and yeah. um, I just woke up one day. I woke up one day, got in the shower, put on clothes. I called one of my boys. She was at work. And I was like, um, I think I'm a four O's today. He was like, no, you're not. I'm like, come on, let's hop in the car. Went to her job. I asked him to call her to the front, gave her a box, and inside the box it was a, a engraved heart with the ring inside that said, will you marry me? Hmm. So technically, I never asked. It was written down. <laughs> I never vocalized those words, but um, she was shocked, and that's all I wanted. I, I tried to surprise her with every single thing. And that was the one thing that she didn't know was coming. That's pretty cool. That's a lot of pressure, man. What if she just said no? If like, she you know, said no, I would have been like, I would have been down on one knee. So it would have worked out. It better for him. <laughs> it would have, you know, you got to play it. Well, you know, that was a joke. That was a joke. It was a paper ink. Paper ink. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need that back. I'm going to need that back. But yeah. So, you said you, you went to her job and it was in front of like all her coworkers and stuff? Uh, it was in front of two coworkers because she's a nurse. And there was then uh, the front desk person and one of the other nurses walked by. And uh, it was one, of the, the nurse that walked by was one that she was real close friends with. So I said, you might want to stay here for a little bit. So, oh, mm-hmm. something's going on. And then she just smiled and she looked at me and I'm like, it might be. And then next thing you know, she came up. I gave her the box. And then she was like, what is that? I said, just open it. Just open it. Tell me what you think. I want to get you something. And then that's when she opened it up. And 
She said yes. So was it like one of them situations where you knew she was going to say yes? Like y'all already talked about it? Or was it, was it a complete surprise for her? No, nah, it wasn't a surprise. I knew she was going to say yes because, I mean, I'm going to say this being uh, the person that I am. I mean, of course she was going to say yes to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been together <laughs> for a while now. Her nieces called me uncle, and I didn't prep that. They just started calling me uncle. So it, it was, I, I knew that that we were we were meant. Uh, I knew that it was something that was special. I knew that I had found my other half. So there was no doubt in my mind that she was going to say yes. There was none. That's pretty cool, man. I, you seem like a pretty romantic guy, Joe. That's Only sometimes. Up, Only sometimes. Only sometimes, okay. <laughs> All right, so what was, like, the most romantic thing you've done for her? And what was the least romantic thing? Most romantic thing I did was uh, I want to stay at the Hard Rock downtown when uh, the Hard Rock was still there. Yeah. And I had saved it from April to our anniversary. I think it was our, it was our 12th year anniversary. And what I did was I set it up where we were on the top floor of the Hard Rock, so we were able to look around, look out at the city. Uh, so it was one of the suites. And I had booked us reservations at Morton's. She didn't know anything. Had her bag packed and said, hey, let's just take a trip. She's like, where are we going? Are we going out? out? I'm like, yeah, but we're going to stay in city limits. She didn't know that I had the hotel room. Took her um, and I will never forget we sat we were listening to WGCI and uh, and it was late so it wasn't hip hop it was actually like good music I'm sorry to say that yeah, like the but, um, and we were just looking out at the city we were drinking some wine and looking out at the city and I just wanted to celebrate her got her flowers had the flowers sent to the room so when she got there, those flowers, uh, they gave us chocolate-covered strawberries. It was beautiful. It really was. And the least romantic thing I did. <laughs> oh, I think it was a birthday. Um, and she want, she, what did she want? I think she wanted a purse, but in my mind, like you already got like 96 purses. Another purse. So I did the next best thing. I said, well, I'm a surpriser. The DSI was coming out. So I got her a DSI and her birth her birthday, we took the kids down because her birthday's in September. We took the kids down to Philly. And so on her birthday, I gave her a brand new DSI. She was like, wow. I didn't know that you were going to get this. And the first thing that my oldest did at that time was said, Mom, that's great. So it's mine then. And took it away. <laughs> so I marked that as the least romantic thing that I did because all I said is, well, you got to catch him. <laughs> that was it. Okay, okay. All right, so... Um... Like, how has, because 
when we was talking earlier, you talked about being in Arkansas. So what was that like for your family? Like, especially the kids moving, you know, from Chicago to Arkansas. Oh, so initially it was, well, why are we moving to Arkansas? What's the point? You know, there's nothing to do down here. I said, you guys don't do anything anyway, but sit on TV and play games. <laughs> so yeah. I'm pretty sure you can sit on TV and play games in a warm climate. And then, uh, you know, they were sad naturally that they were leaving some of the family, some of the friends that they had. Um, but as they transitioned down here, um, I told them, because in Chicago, we had them in private school. So they were wearing uniforms, the whole shebang. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, when we come to Arkansas, I'm not going to put you in private school. I'm going to put you in uh, public. I want you to have that experience. And when I said that, they were like, oh, no uniforms. They said, nope, no uniforms, no religion class. <laughs> oh, okay, so where are we going? I'm like, oh, okay, so that's all I had to do. No uniforms or religion. Um, but it, it was a transition. I think the, the biggest thing for them was they were leaving everything. And I know that's all that they've known. So I, I, I prepped them when I was looking for jobs. Like these are some of the places that I'm looking at. I want you to know. And they were a part of every decision that I made. Uh, I took into consideration their likes and their dislikes. And I even told uh, the dean of my college, uh, I interviewed at different schools, but this is the only school I can see my kids running on the campus. If I can't see my kids running on the campus, playing around the campus, this isn't the school for me. Yeah. So once I can envision that, that's why I, that's why I chose where it is um, and where I wanted to put down roots. I mean, the, besides property value being cheaper and things like that, you know, this was the first time I was able to get a house was being down here. Now they each have their own rooms. They have the, they have technically their own dog apiece. Uh, <laughs> even though the dogs are up under their mama the whole time, but they technically have a dog apiece. Uh, yeah, they're happy. And that was my that was my main thing. I wanted to plant seeds for the future. So who has um, had like the most, the, diff, the most difficult time with that transition? Like out of all the people in your family, including yourself? Ooh. So, I would say, honestly, I would say it would be my mother, because uh, I'm an only child, mm. and um, I didn't want to leave her up there, so we actually built an addition for her to be able to stay and go back and forth if she wanted to from Chicago to Arkansas. So, the whole back and forth thing hasn't happened. She just went back and stay. We're waiting for the fourth. <laughs> Okay. But um, as long as she's happy, that that that's all that matters. She and the kids, my wife, that's really all that matters. But she had the hardest transition because um, not only with transitioning down south because she's originally from Shreveport, uh, Louisiana, but yeah. also she retired at the same time. So she had two big life-changing events at one time. And I know that that was difficult because she's used to going and she's used to constantly moving. 
and and doing stuff. And now she has to sit down and be still, which is completely opposite to what she's done her entire life. Mm -hmm. So I think that's been the hardest transition. Um, The other thing, which is going to sound weird, but not weird, and I think this has been for all of us, is we are used to the cuisines in Chicago being plentiful. We can drive pretty much (laughs) anywhere and find any type of food that we want. Yeah, that has been difficult down here. Where if I want some, let's say sharks chicken, where <laughs> every other corner there's a sharks chicken in Chicago. Uh, I have to drive to uh, about forty five, forty five to an hour to go get some sharks chicken, and that's the closest. Uh, that, that's not good. Nah, it's nah, tough. <laughs> so what's like the signature dish of Arkansas of like the area that you're in? Do they have a signature uh, dish? I would say if anything, it would be they they barbecue down here, but they smoke a lot. Like they, okay. they smoke ribs, smoke sausage and, and things like that. That's what I've seen the most of. And I say that's been what what's been the, the signature dish of where we are. Okay, I thought I was gonna say ghee rolls or something. No, ghee rolls down there. Hey, you should ask somebody if they know what a ghee roll is. I, I folks down here don't even know what White Castle is. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it, it's it's literally that different. Oh, uh, but they have they have crystals in the South. I know, like in Memphis, they had crystals. Yeah, but. There ain't no crystals here. It might be one in Little Rock, but that's still hours so away from me. Mm. That's rough. But man, <laughs> you don't know half of it. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, your university where you teach. Uh, you also mentioned you being somewhat of a trailblazer as far as being the first black professor at that school. What is well, that? Uh, what has that been like? Well, I'm the first black male professor in my college, in my um, program. And being the first black professor for some of the students has been because it's some of them are there to genuinely learn about what's going on. And some of the questions that they're asking are, are, you can tell they haven't met someone who's achieved a doctoral degree or something like that and even talking with them about some of the things and what are the processes of what goes on and just trying to educate them and you can see that there's actually a real hunger for it and then you get those students that and I think this is with no matter what program no matter where it is being a a person of color inside any university you're always going to get those students that try to challenge you but you don't know this and you don't know that and um I can always pick out the ones that are going to challenge me sooner than than anything else. But even then, I know that there's hope that they learn something from me that's different from learning from someone else. Because I, I don't want to just impart the book knowledge that's there, but I want to give them experience so it lasts with them throughout their entire career, throughout their entire program. Because that's really how you learn with this. In any type of field, I think, but especially in counseling. You learn from your experiences and, and what you actually experience, not just uh, um, 
what you've read in the book, what you've read in the article, what you may see on TV, but what are your real opinions about it? We, we have difficult conversations. We talk about what is white privilege. We talk about the Black Lives Matter movement. And naturally, there are some students that even said in some evaluations that I read, like, we talked about it. I had a different opinion about it. I thought Dr. Campbell was going to jump down my throat, and he didn't. And I was surprised at that. Now, you know, B, uh, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No. Well, I was going to say, like, being um, the first black male teacher that a lot of these students have, do you feel like you have to um, respond a certain way or, or be a certain way in the classroom? I think just being a black teacher in general, there's always a way that you got to respond inside of the classroom. I, I do. But I think what I constantly say to myself when I'm confronted with some of those issues is how can they learn from this and what do I want them to learn from this? Mm -hmm. Because they can either go off from this experience and saying, you know what, uh, all teachers are like blah, blah, blah or some teachers are like, blah, blah, blah. I want them to have an experience Well, Dr. Campbell is not like some teachers. He cares about what I actually think. I might not agree with what he says sometimes. He might not agree with what I say sometimes, but he still listens. And I think that kind of goes back to how I even treat my kids is that I might not agree with what you're saying, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to hear you out. If you're wrong, I'm going to tell you. But I'm going to listen to you. Because what you say does matter. I don't care what age you are. It does matter. Mm -hmm. So do you, do you have a mentor, Joe? Most Someone who, who you talk to on a regular basis about things? On a regular basis, I wish I could talk to him more. But... Uh, yeah, I, I believe, I do have multiple mentors. Um, I believe that you should have multiple. You, you don't just need one mentor, you need multiple. Yeah. I have one that's inside my field, one that's outside my field. Uh, somebody that I can talk to about personal issues, somebody that I can talk to about professional issues and professional growth. And uh, somebody that actually handles both. It's, I think it is necessary to have mentorship growing up, period. Mm -hmm. And I don't think mentorship actually stops when you hit a plateau of, oh, I achieved high school graduation, college graduation, master's graduation, doctor graduation, or I got this job. Mentorship continues on, no matter what you're doing, because you you're always in the role of either being a mentor or being uh, uh, receiving the mentorship. Yeah. So, yes, I, I do. I have multiple mentors to, to answer your question. I'm, I'm just thinking about them right now. And every time that I've had a critical crisis or something like that, I just ask their opinion about something. You know, it's always a quick response back about, okay, let's look at the pros, let's look at the cons. Mm -hmm. You know, what's your work? Let's look at that. Let's look at how do you want to evaluate this? How do you want to talk to them about this? And they've always been there. And I, there's, yeah. 
I'm thankful for him. I don't think I'd be in this position uh, in, in this point in my life without him. So what's, what's the best piece of professional advice you've received and personal advice you've received from a mentor, from one of your mentors? I think they're both one and the same to just sit back and listen. Mm, okay. Because sometimes you are hearing all the other things that are going on, but really listen to everything that's being said and everything that's around you. Because sometimes there are things that are not said that are speaking louder than the things that are said. Okay. That's good. I had a question in regards to um, your thoughts on uh, child rearing. What is your philosophy on uh, uh, basically, or how, how are you raised in regards to, to, to rearing, and uh, how do you how did that transfer to how you uh, how you raise your your children in regards to discipline? So when it comes to discipline. Uh, I do believe in spanking. I do, but I think that there's necessitiveness to it sometimes. Uh, but I also think that it needs to be peppered in with other things. It's not just, you know, that's the first thing that you automatically do. You just whoop the kid. Um, but I think that there are some times where saying, go to your room, it doesn't help because inside of their room, they have a 50-inch TV these other things going on. So telling them to go to their room doesn't necessarily make sense. Uh, I think about, uh, honestly, the skit from the Chappelle show when they did the wife swap. And oh, so, yeah. And so, <laughs> what, go to the room. so you know, but I also believe in creativity with it as well. So with as my kids have gotten older, there's been less corporal punishment when it comes to spanking and more, okay, you did this and you were told not to. What do you think your punishment should be? Mm -hmm. Because I want them to have ownership and what they've done. Now, if it's like, well, um, to walk the dogs for a week, like, no, that's something that you normally do. Let's take it up. So how about you walk the dogs for a week uh, outside, both dogs, morning and evening, before you go to school, as well as you clean up the backyard, you write an essay, you are reading an additional book or something like that. So it's going to be centered around something where they're growing. I, I don't want them to be lax in what they're doing, as well as, you know, I, I, I want them to be a well-rounded human being, but I, I don't want them to be fearful of me where I am constantly having to beat on the children or anything like that. True enough, there are many times I believe that sometimes beating doesn't work and tasing might work, but we don't tase kids. <laughs> don't tase the babies. <laughs> but there, there are moments where I keep on thinking to myself, and I've told my darling wife, I said, if I ever, ever, ever want to get really rich, I'm going to invent a kid taser that's a low-power taser <laughs> and just tag them just one good time. But yeah, that's I, I I do believe as they 
as the kids have grown and gotten older, so should the way that you discipline and so should the way that you treat them. So you, they have to be a part of that because they have to learn to be accountable. And I think one of the biggest things that I constantly think of, and I tell my wife and I tell my mother, I tell my nieces and nephews this, you guys are young black men and women out there. You know, the world might look at you one way and I want you to understand what's gonna happen. So I'm not gonna treat you delicately and things of that nature when it comes to punishments, because I want you to be aware of how serious this is. Because when you do get out there, when, you, when you're 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, and you look like you're 18, 19, 20 years old, that's how they're going to treat you. Know that you're safe in this house, but know that there are times outside this house that people are going to not like you, not want to talk to you, want to pull you over, want to stop you, want to frisk you for, for no reason other than the color of your skin. So I want to make sure that you are prepared to go out there to face that. Mm -hmm. And I, I will never forget my uncle who told me that when I was mad at my mom about something and those were exact words, she's preparing you to go out into the world because this is your safe haven. The world is not a safe place, not for people like us. Until that world is saved, then we can stop saying all that. That's fine. But he said, one day you're going to tell your kids the same thing that you were preparing them for the world. And so they can be not only survivors, but thrivers. Yeah. And that stuck with them. So you've been in Arkansas for a couple of years now, right? Yes. And, um, so that being said, like you've been down there since like George Floyd and um, like all the other recent cases that happened this past year. Yeah. Um, what was like the response from the community towards those incidents? So I, I want to put the caveat is the campus community will always respond differently than the community at large. Mm hmm. So the campus community, there were marches, there were walks, there were, matter of fact, they're even planning the MLK walk uh, right now for January. But the community that I currently live in, because I think it's so far away for most of them, it doesn't affect them. In my, the community that I stay in, because Hot Springs is kind of like the resort city and things like that. Like there's a casino right down the street from me. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of more affluent white folks okay. that are around here. But I stay in the part of town that is mixed. Okay. So we're not poor. We're not rich. We're good. Mm -hmm. But if you go down a couple blocks, you can see uh, mini mansions and things like that. You can see uh, uh, like two of my colleagues right now, they have houses on golf courses. Mm. And they stay about maybe 20, 25 minutes away from me. And they're in a gated community. Okay. But when it comes to, and I, I will never forget, I was told this when these things were happening. And when we started talking about social and culture inside of our own little uh, uh, department that 
I want you to handle this because I don't want to get caught up in what's going on. And I said, caught up, what do you mean? Like, I, I don't want to end up saying the wrong thing. Mm. What's the wrong thing? There were, there were people who were living who are now there. Yeah. There, there's no wrong thing to say about that. Lives were lost. Like, well, you know, people like, nope, let me stop you there. People are dead. Before you say anything else and before we have a, a come to Jesus conversation that might even cost me my job, just know that I believe in lives mattering. I do believe black lives matter. And I'll give you the parable that was given to me. If everybody's eating at a table, Johnny's not eating. And someone says, hey, Johnny's Johnny's not eating right now. Johnny needs to eat. So Johnny, Johnny's eating matters. Like, yeah, but all of our eating matters. Yes, but even though all of our eating does matter, at this very moment, Johnny's the one who is not eating. And it took me saying that for a like, oh, I get what it, okay. Oh, the you're not saying, us. like, yes, it's not about saying that all lives don't matter. It's at this moment, there is a response of black lives not mattering as much as everyone else's. So that's why there's an emphasis on it. Yeah. Because when you lose people because they are smoking or because they're sitting in a car or because they're in the passenger seat of a car, that's something, or you're a little 12-year-old boy that's playing with a gun that has an orange tip on it. Or you're just sitting in a house and next thing you know, gunfire is coming in. Mm. Those are the things that, that that our students have to think about and some of our students have to live with and I've told them that. I was like, well, what do you mean that they have to live with? When you start to see people who look like you dead in the street on film, and every time that you turn on the news, there's constantly a story of that person, or someone who looks like you, dead, and showing pictures of them constantly. That trauma starts to build up in the body because you see it daily. And with the way that our news cycle is, since we have a 24-hour news cycle, we constantly see it. There's not a moment that we don't. So it was important for me to let them know that, yes, this is important, but what the real meaning behind Black Lives Matter actually is and why it should matter to us, especially as counselors, because there is a disproportionate amount of violence that is done to this group of people, my group of people, that they don't have to worry about. They can walk down certain streets and not have a problem at all. They can drive down a street and have a police car behind them and not sweat, and not feel like something could jump off. Or they're not running through a checklist in the back of their mind, like, okay, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this, I have to keep my hands straight. I gotta make sure I got somebody on the phone who can, who, who can listen to where the whereabouts about what's going on and everything else. They don't have that checklist. I, I know I was taught, and I'm pretty sure you two brothers will talk to, yes, sir, no, sir, when someone stops and pulls you over and does this and that and the other. Yep. 
I asked other, uh, uh, in one of my social and cultural classes, I asked uh, students that have kids and said, you know, were your kids ever, did you ever teach your kids that? Right now, we just told them to be respectful. We didn't say you have to say yes, sir, no, sir. And it's just like when I went to the black students, all three of them that were in the class, I said, what were you taught? Same thing, same thing, same thing. And it amazed some of the other students, like, why wasn't I taught this thing? So because that's something that you never had to worry about. The thing and the difference between what you're seeing now on television versus what is going on is that in my culture, throughout our history, we've known this stuff to happen. This is just the first time in history that it's recorded on a medium and it's just shown to people. Yeah. But we've known about this. Our grandparents, our great-grandparents, our great-great-grandparents have known about this for years. But that's it's not the power of the smartphone, man. People, everybody got cameras. Yeah. So at any moment, you can have somebody recording something. Definitely. So yeah, it's definitely a different time. Yeah. Uh, Joe. I, I do apologize. I get passionate about that. Oh, no, no, you're good, man. You're good. But we're gonna um we're gonna get ready to wrap it. Uh do you wanna let the audience know like where they can get in touch with you or anything that you got going on right now? Um man, what do we have going on right now? <laughs> well, if if there's anybody that is in the Arkansas uh area that's looking for a university home, Henderson State University is always enrolling. Um our graduate program for our counseling department, we enroll twice a year in uh, May and, well, we enroll in May and we enroll in the fall semester. Uh, so if you're looking for a home that's a little bit different, a little bit rural, Henderson State University in Arkadelphia, Arkansas is here for you. Uh, anybody who wants to reach out can contact me at C-A-M-P-B-E-J-O at H-S-U dot E-D-U. And also, again, I want to thank you, brothers, for having me on and giving me a soapbox to actually speak about stuff. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, thank you. long-winded. Nah, you was good, man. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, both. All right, good people. It's been another episode. Until the next time. Peace. Yes, yes. Thank you for listening to WTF Interviews. If you want to get in contact with us, you can reach us via our website, wtfatherhood.org. Uh, also, our Facebook page and our Facebook group will be listed in the description below as well. Uh, I ask you to leave a, a review as it helps more people receive the message. And uh, again, until next time, be well. You already are.